This is the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Chris. I'm super excited about our guest this week. Chase Replogle is the pastor of Bent Oak Church in Springfield, Missouri, where actually both Chris and I go to church. He's got a degree in biblical studies and an MA in the New Testament. He hosts the Pastor Writer Podcast, which I would recommend you guys check out right now after you're done listening to this podcast. And on that podcast, he interviews pastors and authors on the calling and craft of writing. And he's had guests like Pete Scazzaro, who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and the Emotionally Healthy Church. He's also uh, had Dick Foth, Os Guinness, Scott Sauls, Drew Dick, and many, many more. You guys should go check it out. It's also been a podcast that's uh, been featured by the Gospel Coalition. So. What you need to know is that Chase is very, very practical when it comes to living the Christian life. He's always looking for ways to make the Christian faith concrete and real. He walks it out in everyday life, and he wants to help other people learn how to walk it out in everyday life too, which makes him a great guest for Daily Growth Discipleship. And in our conversation this week, We get to talk with him about his upcoming book, where he unpacks the story of Samson. And in this story, he finds a man who's struggling to find meaning in life. He's been given an identity, that of a Nazarite, since before he was born, and now he's trying to find his way through the plan that God has for him in this life. And many of us struggle in the same way. We look for meaning in achievements, in our careers, our families. We try to find meaning in those relationships that we have with other people, and honestly, sometimes they leave us feeling empty inside. We may also struggle with the question altogether and see no purpose in life, see no point in figuring out who God has called us to be. Well, take heart, you are not alone in your search for meaning in this life. And hopefully by the end of this conversation, you'll find that that meaning may just be closer than you think. Chase, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Chase is a good friend. Um, he has been on the Theology in Progress podcast. So if you're a longtime listener of us, then you know about that. You should definitely go check out that podcast. It was a good episode. It's still one of our one of our better downloaded episodes. It is. And uh, But we wanted to have Chase back on the podcast today to talk about some new stuff that he has got going on. Number one, he's got a book that is, uh, well, hopefully... Uh, be published here soon. It's it's in the works, and um, the publishers got it, I believe. And he's also started a podcast of his own, and so I want to talk to him a little bit about that. So, Chase, your the book that you've wrote was on Samson, correct? Yeah, that's right. So, what made you want to write a book on Samson? I mean, he is a cool character in the Bible, but there's not a whole lot written about him, you know, as far as pages in the Bible go. So. What was it that made you want to write about him? Well, it's a weird story. It's uh, uh, it's only about three chapters, and so I agree with you. It's sort of a weird place to start. But I, I, I preached through the book of Judges a few years ago, and then at the same time I was teaching at a Christian high school and uh, worked Samson's story into just a small part of the, of the course curriculum. And then obviously just I think I did three weeks on it uh, in, when we were doing the book of Judges preaching. 
Uh, but it just resonated with me. And what I saw when I taught it to high schoolers is that as obscure and sort of strange as the story is, they really deeply connected with it. And I think there's a few things going on in particular with Samson's story that make it really fascinating for right now. Uh, one of the things that hit me is culturally the moment that we're in, uh, there's a lot going on around the idea of identity and how we come to understand who we are. And Samson's story, I really read it in many ways, is uh, an Israelite man who's, who's struggling to understand how he fits into the world around him, what his identity is. He carries with him this sort of commitment that's really been made before he was even born, this Nazarite vow. It's not something he decided. He was born into it. So he carries this thing with him, but he's constantly pulled by his interests and his past passions down to Philistia and to, to their cities and uh, obviously the romance of it. And, and so you see him through all these stories really struggling to understand who he is as a person. And then, of course, it's uh, what's happened with this topic of identity is I think you could sort of walk through, well, let me put it this way, the like least millennial thing in the world to do is say you're a millennial or writing for millennials. I completely understand that. But uh, if, you, if you break it down into the, the categories of generations, I think about my grandparents, the sort of motivator when it came to identity was status or reputation within uh, the community, right? You wanted to be well-respected, well-thought of through career, through sort of civic activity. Uh, for my parents' generation, more of a baby boomer generation, the thing that seemed to drive identity was happiness, possessions, wealth, sort of climbing the ladder, keeping up with the Joneses. And so as I think about myself, which I am, I'm sort of on the edge of the millennial category and what identity looks like and where identity comes from, there's really a lot of turbulence right now making that transition to millennials and a lot of misunderstanding. I think what most of us would say when it comes to understanding our identity is there's this pull towards adventure or this pull towards experiences or causes that we're willing to sort of sacrifice some of the commitments, we're willing to sacrifice maybe some of the, the expectations that get handed to us, and what we're really after is this experience of who we are that gets worked out in all sorts of ways. And to me, Samson's story is really at the center of that. Here's a guy who's constantly wandering off, looking these unbelievable heroic experiences that are pulling him into trying to understand who he is. And then the other piece of that was... Um, Culturally, I see this idea of what the hero is changing. So used to a hero was somebody who would sacrifice their own self-interest for the good of the community, right? They would save the community or bring back something to the community at their own expense. But culture today, watch any Disney movie. You guys have young kids, so I know you see this as well, too. The new hero narrative is you sacrifice the community's expectations to go and find who you are in this adventure, your identity. So like Moana is a perfect example of it, right? You've got to leave the island behind. You've got to set out over the ocean to find who you are. And Samson's story is very much that kind of story. The community's holding me back. I've got to leave it to go discover who I am. And then, of course, you follow Samson's story, and so much of that is what ends up betraying him. And he really, just in the last days of his life, comes to understand that real identity is not something you achieve. It's not something you adventure after or find somewhere on the horizon. Horizon. Um, real identity is this calling, this commitment that God has in the everyday responsibilities of life that you're living even right now. So a lot there, but that's sort of what got me really fascinated, not just in the Samson story, but particularly how Samson's story fits into the moment I think we find ourselves in. Yeah, what do you think that does? Because uh, I like that analysis. I think that's a great analysis of where we are as millennials and, uh, you know, for fear of being too taboo, you know, we are millennials as well. And so, um, but what do you think? Even, even Gen Z, the generation after us is taking that farther than we have. Yeah. And it'll be really interesting to see how that, that completely shakes out because, you know, they're, 
still kind of in their infancy of developing what I think their uniqueness will be. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, which is kind of a scary thought because I don't think I've got it figured out yet (laughs) for millennials, much less like I'm worried about it, like what there's already another generation coming after us. So, but what do you think that does for meaning, like meaning in life? Because I think the search for identity could also be paraphrased as the search for meaning in life. And um, I, I know that's a, a bigger question, I think, in, in my mind, in the way that you described what each generation values as far as identity, I think, speaks to what we value as far as you alluded to it, what we're put on earth to do, but what brings us meaning? Have you made any connections or um, you have any thoughts regarding that? Yeah, I think to me, the big problem when it comes to beaning is just the level of discontentment that I think is characteristic of most of our lives. Um, We have these deep callings that we're able to articulate, these passions that we live for, the things we want to accomplish and achieve. And most of those, by the way, are good things, right? Like that's part of, uh, we tend to look at some of the consumerism of our parents and we tend to reject that and say, no, we want to live for these causes, right? We want to live for something more meaningful and bigger. Uh, but what I think is happening is that that always being something distant, right? So uh, it, it's not just enough to, to serve here, my own neighbors and where I am. It's got to be somewhere exotic. It's got to be somewhere uh, I've travel to and distance to somewhere totally different, right? And I've got to come back with great photos to post on Instagram. Uh, There's this sort of discontentment that I think begins to form where, and I think it becomes a real challenge for us spiritually and when it comes to this topic of meaning, because there's half of us that feels like, and I think rightfully so, we are trying to live for something meaningful. And then there's the other half of us that feels like no matter how close we think we are to it, it never quite feels like it's uh, it's delivering, right? It's not really securing the identity or the confidence or or the the contentment that we expected it to. So we find ourselves caught, right? And I think that's part of why culturally right now you find um, there's so much division around causes, things that you would think everybody would stand for. We find ourselves sort of jockeying for who cares about it more, and uh, we're not finding the solution that we thought we would find adventuring after these important causes or purposes, as you put it. Mm-hmm. Is that because we set our expectations too high or we've made them unrealistic? And I think to kind of maybe give you an example, um, you know, if, if all you see of a person and your expectation grows out of seeing what they put on Instagram or Facebook, um, that, that can tend to skew your perception of that person, particularly if you don't have a real relationship with them in real life, to think, wow, they get to live like this amazing, adventurous life. Um, why can't I get to do that? They're out there living you know, their purpose, their identity is in, in these things. And so you don't really get to see the daily struggle maybe that they, that they go through. And so our expectations are skewed a little off in, in, into something that I think is unreasonable. Well, part of it, too, I think we're just not honest about what we're really looking for. Um, This is just, it's all over the Bible, right? This is what idolatry functions under, that there's more going on. We're searching for something more than than we're willing to be honest about. And if we really dug deeper into what motivates us, why are we drawn to those particular sins? Why are we interested in that particular cause? Why does it have to happen in adventure? Why do we feel ourselves pulled out of the place that we are? Um, Usually it's because we're not really honest. And that's, that's at the core of Samson's story, right? Like the 
violence that shows up in Samson's story. Samson constantly has this line uh, where he says, uh, basically, uh, it's over when I say it's over, right? He, he's constantly being drugged deeper and deeper into conflict. And I don't think it's because, um, I, I think it's because he's not able to admit that really what he's after is a kind of intimacy that helps him understand his identity. He's looking for that identity to be affirmed by something. And so he's constantly drawn to the women of Philistia. He's constantly drawn to these, these conquests, these adventures, these, the violence that sort of leaves him the one man standing on the battlefield. But it's never quite enough, and it pulls him deeper and deeper. And the final image of him sort of with his eyes gouged out and chained in this prison cell, and he's grinding wheat within a temple for Dagon, um, it's really a way of saying that everything has betrayed him. It's not just Delilah. It's all of these things that he thought was going to deliver on identity have all betrayed him, and he finds himself, um, well, the great line that he uses, like every other man, right? He's given up and sacrificed everything that did make him who he was, this calling that he had, the Nazarite commitment that he had. He sacrificed it all and then been betrayed by everything he thought was going to fulfill. So for me, it's really, um, I think the deepest spirituality, the deepest sense of identity does not come from distant adventures or great sort of great trips or experiences or great causes on global scales. I think the most important practice of spirituality is lived out in the relationship you have with a spouse and raising the kids that you have and working the job that you currently have, embracing the community that you live in, knowing the neighborhood you're where you've been placed. And those things may change. They, Of course they do. But trying to embrace a kind of lifestyle that says, I am going to take these things, these commitments seriously, I think is the the sense of identity, the sense of belonging that we're really all looking for. Do you think then Samson's sort of rebellion against what his true identity was because he felt that it was constantly ascribed to him from birth? I know you've talked about before, like the Nazarite vow, that was ascribed to him. He didn't make that choice that was imposed on him. So maybe this adventure seeking was part of that unwillingness to accept, you know, who it was that he is. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just too pedestrian. It's something he's he was born into. He's had it since the day he was he was born. And then you throw on top of it, we sort of think the Philistines are sort of the the backwards barbaric people, but that's completely wrong. I mean, the Israelites at this time period, the Book of Judges, are just trying to scrape out a living in the hills. Uh, it's the Philistines who have built these massive cities down on the coastline. And of course, you know, we think the Philistines are some sort of a GNC people who had come. So they 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 bring with them sort of a culture and and tradition and gods. That are really exotic and foreign for the world around Samson. And so you find himself growing up. He's already a bit strange and an outcast because he can't cut his hair and he's got these weird rituals he lives by. Uh, and then on top of that, he's sort of a nobody family and a nobody Israelite sort of rural lifestyle. And he looks down on these great cities of the Philistines and their great warriors and their great technological innovations in, in metal and the sort of cultural winds that carry in these exotic ideas and gods. And I think he just found himself infatuated by it. And he carries that commitment to God with him for a ways, but little by little, he's forced into these compromising situations and time and time again. It's actually the way it does it literarily is fascinating. He always turns them into little like puns or songs. So 
when he's at his, his marriage uh, and he puts forward this riddle to them, what's sweeter than honey and stronger than a lion or uh, stronger than a lion is the, the solution to it. He uh, he's sort of taking this experience he had had, this sort of divine experience and trivializing it down to a little riddle. And then, of course, when he, he kills the Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, he uses a little pun and he says heaps upon heaps. I've killed them. It's the same word in Hebrew for heap and donkey. So he's sort of making fun of them through this pun. So I see it as he uh, he, he has all of these opportunities. And every time he gets one to understand who he already is by God's leading, he sort of trivializes it and wastes it in the moment uh, and then ends up losing it, a sense of it. Because he's looking for something more grand or the next thing. Yeah, I think he. I think he very secure. You know, I'm speculating a little bit from just the story, but I think he he sees the Philistines and pragmatically they have everything that he doesn't. It seems to be what is working, and that's of course in some ways the conclusion of the Samson story is ultimately not Samson versus the Philistines or Samson versus himself. The final moments of Samson's life is the God of Samson versus the God of the Philistines. It's really this this moment between Dagon. Samson's chained up in his temple, and they're celebrating and mocking that they've defeated Israel's God. They've defeated Samson. And this final prayer that Samson has, um, that one last time God would strengthen them. And of course, he pulls down this temple to Dagon. And I think I think the key, so this is where it gets back to this idea of hero. I think if you are a, a sort of, it's if, if you're a child, a little boy growing up in Israel, and you're looking down on these Philistine towns, um, it's a strange bedtime story for your dad to tell you the story of Samson, right? Uh, it's got some sketchy details. But I think what Samson does for his community through this life that he ends up he ends up giving in these final moments, I think what he does is he says that the God that they serve, Israel's God, is greater than the God of the Philistines. And he puts that on display. And so I think if you're a child growing up in Israel, you look around and you say, the Philistines have the adventure, they have the possessions and the wealth and the sort of the new ideas, the technology. And what we have seems sort of too simple and not worth enough and not getting us where I want to go, not achieving enough. But Samson's life becomes a hero because he ultimately, what he gives back to that community is a sense that their God is the greatest God and that faithfulness to him is what defines them as his people and what gives them their identity. And that's greater than what they can find through their adventures down to Philistia. So what do you think is the ultimate message then for anybody who would be reading your book? If, if that's the final scene is we realize the whole time that this is really Israel's God versus the Philistines' God. And I, I guess Samson was just a, to be a tool in that battle, what's the big takeaway? To me, the big takeaway of Samson's life is embrace where God has you. Um, the sort of endless daydreaming, sometimes what we can even refer to as vision, the things that we can imagine we're doing for God or dreaming for God, I think can pull us out of recognizing that there is significant value in the commitments that God already has you in. Trust your identity to God, trust that God creates your identity in you. Um, and it's enough. Um, the, the, the best moment in the whole Samson story is that when he is chained up, when his eyes have been gouged out, when they've shaved his head, he's literally absolutely the lowest point, the most humiliation, the most defeated. There's this great little sentence that simply says, but the hair began to grow back on his head. Um, it's obviously a lot more than just hair. 
It's a sense that who he is, his relationship with God, this identity that's formed by his calling, is not something that can simply be lost. That if we trust God, he restores that identity. He's the source of that identity. The hair grows back. And so I think, take a look around you. You may hate the job. Uh, the relationships around you may not be what you expected them to be. They may be difficult. You may not like the place you are. It may not be as great as some other place that you see or imagine. But embrace it. Take seriously the commitment that God has where you are and search it for what God is doing. Search it for signs of how it's a calling and a commitment that by it you're being deepened. You're becoming somebody of deeper faith and deeper spirituality. And God may move you to that great place. He may do an incredible new opportunity in your job. And those things may come, but don't lose the value of what you have right now for who you are. I think an identity is something you receive by faith, not something that you can achieve or find through your own adventure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. If you want to stay up to date on all that's happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And then come back tomorrow and check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Chase talks about finding meaning exactly where God called him to be.